Before we begin this week's episode, we wanted to say something brief about the mass shooting that took place in Uvalde, Texas recently with 19 children and two teachers perishing just on the heels of 10 people being killed in Buffalo, New York. Truly horrific events in a series of horrific events that have continued to take place in the United States in a seemingly unrelenting fashion. And we know that you aren't listening to this episode to be reminded about these things and likely aren't here for our takes on such issues. And we're not going to give you any takes on these issues. However, we are people. We're just like you. We're parents. We're uncles. We're friends. And we're just fellow citizens of the people impacted by issues such as these. And we think it's important for all of you to know that we're disheartened. We're angered by these things, just like we imagine many, if not all of you are. And it's easy to feel powerless in the face of these forces. It's easy to feel like we can't possibly make a difference. But our ask of you this week is to do one thing that you think does make a difference, whether it's just having a conversation about your feelings with someone else, to calling a representative, to writing a letter, to donating to a cause that matters to you. These things do make a difference. And if every person who listens to this episode does just one thing, That's a tremendous cumulative effort, and we will be donating proceeds from this episode to causes that we think can make a difference as well. So as always, thank you for listening, and thank you for anything you do to make the world what you want it to be. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, on Memorial Day, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Shane, happy holidays. Stanislav, I hope you enjoyed your Memorial Day weekend. I know that three days feels like an eternity anymore for me. It's just like, man, I need, I need to start working four tens. I need, I need that three-day weekend. Yes, you do. You've earned it. <laughs> tell, that, tell it to my company. Well, I have your boss on the line. It's <laughs> the godfather, Dave Harberger. Dave, Shane, he's earned it. Now, I've told you, boys, I don't like coming down here to the furnace room where you two hang out to tell you <laughs> to put the widgets out faster. We need increased widget productivity, even though today's a holiday. Stan and I are like that scene in Elf where we're just like messing around in the mailroom being real weird. I pictured the IT crowd for some reason when I was saying this to you to you all. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that okay? That's fine too. Stan, you're you're tall like like Will Ferrell. Well, Will, was he on the IT crowd? No. He's an elf. He's the yes. elf. Yes. He's taller than I am. He's 6'3". He is tall. I told you I met Zoe Deschanel right after she filmed that, right? My buddy, Zoe. How tall is Zoe Deschanel? She's short. I mean, she's not as short as I am, so I guess... Yeah, that's saying something. But there's no quick answer in Google for Zoe's height the way there is for Will Ferrell's. Is how about her net worth? Weird. Is her net worth in there? She's five six. She's worth five six. Dang. Okay. <laughs> five point six billion dollars. Whoa. How, how often do you guys type in your name net worth into Google? I've never done that. You think they can? Well, does Google know? Not us. Someone knows, but they know about uh, you know. Movie stars, supposedly. What about the net worth of the dive down as an entity? Mm. We're, feel- we're fielding offers, by the way. If anybody wants to take out a loan and purchase, we're we're ready to, to turn this into a vacation home if we can. Who's interested? Who's up for it? MTG Melee, get at us. 
Yeah. Buy our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) On this week's show, we are doing the latest installment of the People's Meta, the new Capenna edition. We're doing it a little differently this time than we have in the past. Astute listeners will recall previous versions of the People's Meta strictly focused on modern and Our most recent version of this format was a post-Lurus exploration where we looked at the latest MTGO 5.0 deck dump to see how the metagame was evolving after Lurus. Today, what we're doing instead is checking in on Modern again, of course, to see if there's any changes since that previous episode to some of the decks that we expect or maybe have taken us by surprise in the latest 5.0 deck dumps. And... We're also giving the People's Meta treatment to the latest Pioneer 5.0 deck dump. Two formats, two deck dumps, one episode, no breakdown. This is your breakdown. Deck dump episode. Take it or leave it. Please, I hope you take it. We're really excited about this one. It's going to be great. I feel like other people have like the, the deck dump episode trademarked. The, the People's Meta sode is really where we are here. It's just so fun saying deck dump. Deck dump. And people taking it seriously, knowing exactly what we're referring to. Before all that, though, we got some housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Tommy. Hey, Tommy. Tommy, thank you. Happy to have you. Loved him in Rugrats. Great. A plus. Tommy, way to go. I was always like a Stewie. Stewie is Stewie Pickles? Is that one of them? No, I think Stew is Tommy's dad. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. You're thinking about That'd Family Guy again. I'm constantly telling you to stop thinking about Family Guy. No, who's who's the redhead in Rugrats? Chucky. Family Guy. Oh, thank you. No, that, the, the redhead is Lois. You know, the thing about Rugrats, can I tell you sincerely, growing up watching Rugrats, I was at the age where I was the perfect age to watch those Nickelodeon cartoons in the 90s. Yeah. It was the basically the only show made for kids that talked about anything Jewish. Oh, really? Like it, oh, yeah. It had like stories about Moses and Hanukkah and just ev- where when everything else was very Christmas oriented in American pop culture, Rugrats was just like the one show that also told some Jewish stories. And, and I oh, like cool. I like that. It was nice to kind of see that version of myself on television projected at me between toy commercials. The representation matters. And also Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh did the, the intro. So True. the theme song. Wow. What can't he do? So we have no increased tiers. We have no new reviews this week. We haven't had a new review. Well, I guess we did have a new review from Joey just last week. But if you want to get in there, if you want to tell us your thoughts, your feelings, uh, your, turn your critical eye on this podcast and write a review on Apple Podcasts. You can give us a review on Spotify. Just just stars there, but we'll take it. And we know a lot of you have already done that. We appreciate that. It makes us feel good about ourselves and people can find us. Along with Tommy, you two can join the Dive Down Nation through our Patreon patreon.com slash the dive down gets you immediate access into the definitively discreet dive down discord a great community there of people always talking about magic and other things and importantly gets you into some of the tournaments that gets you all the tournaments that we run and then also gets some swag sent your way by the way we haven't had a deck box update in a while we talked to the folks over at legion and they're coming we're, we're expecting them probably late June, early July. Don't put that on your calendar just yet. I mean, there's always sorts of weird variables that can happen, but uh, they are still coming and we're excited for them just as much as any of you all are. Yeah. And we're, again, we're really sorry about how long this process has taken. It will be almost nine months since we submitted artwork by the time that these show up at our doors. Oh my gosh. 
Um, a lot of stuff happened. Global supply chain issues. Uh, Legion was actually purchased or merged with somebody else, I believe. And so they had some stuff going on that was kind of, they were working through as well. But they have been very communicative through the whole process. And I think that it's just, um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of how long it takes something to get made these days. Look, these deck boxes are our baby. And it takes a, about nine months to bring a baby to term. Wow, that's unbelievable to think about. I want, so one yeah, time I worked on a project that literally, like, I found out that we were going to have a kid at the beginning of the project, and then we finished it just after I had my my first child, and the clients were like, that's unbelievable. So <laughs> You guys I, took too long. We're not paying this invoice. Yeah. <laughs> it really puts perspective on it. But if, if you want uh, access to these kind of things, go on over to patreon.com slash the dive down. We appreciate any and all of your support. All right, and if you'd like to support us while playing Magic, playing Magic Online specifically, please check out manatraders.com where you can rent Magic the Online, Magic the Online, the Gathering cards for your use in all your decks, Pioneer or Modern. If you want to try it out, just please uh, go to manatraders.com and use code the dive down 15 to get 15% off your first two months of rental cards using that service. And uh, we appreciate you. Let them know that Dive Down sent you. <laughs> Speaking of dive down sponsors, we've got some. We got a fresh, fresh code. You no longer have to memorize two different coupon codes when you're jumping back and forth between Mana Traders and our other sponsor, Barrister and Man. We got a fresh code over at Barrister and Man. The dive down fifteen is good there too for fifteen percent off your first order of shaving care, skin care, soap care, all of your fragrance and cleanliness needs. We love Barrister and Man. I smelled good on my pontoon boat ride today. Yeah, I smelled good on my boat ride as well today. I used the uh, sandalwood beard oil today. Even though I didn't have time to uh, to take a shower this morning or do any other preparation, any shaving, any soaping, anything, I just got out of bed and realized how much I was going to have to do to pack to go on this boat <laughs> and uh, slap some sandalwood beard oil on my face, get those cowlicks down in my beard, get those beard licks down and just smelled smelled nice and sweet and friendly all day did anyone did anyone mention it to you anyone on the boat was like dave you smell amazing absolutely all down <laughs> all down monroe harbor in uh in chicago as we we watched smell the lines. sun go down there were smell lines coming off of this boat it's a new boat we're going to name it smell lines actually <laughs> that's a good boat name. it's not my boat just to be clear i didn't turn your patreon money into a boat in addition to an inflatable hot tub but but Dave, you and a can of spray paint can name a boat anything you want. That's right. <laughs> I study typography, so you know I can I do it. I would expect you to graduate by now, but I guess not. Mm, it's a lifelong study, you know. We're never truly masters of the serif or the sans serif, the yin and the yang. All right, there you go. Whether it's barrister man or manor traders, use promo code the dive down fifteen. Get some money back. Now, with all that out of the way, let's jump right into the dive down. It's the people's meta. That's right. Modern. So we're going to talk first about modern. Uh, you know, the intent of, of these people's meta shows a lot of times is to show changes that we've that have undergone in that are apparent in the leagues, but maybe not in the challenges or the top tier tournaments like that, especially where people are picking up cards from new sets. And so we thought that since it's been, you know, three weeks or so since Streets of New Capen has come out, we've talked about a lot of new decks, but we thought let's take a look at kind of everything that's going on in a couple of deck dumps and see what new cards are showing up, what things feel different, what things feel the same, and kind of chat through that. 
we're going to talk about modern first because I do think there's kind of less changes that have happened since the Life After Luris episode that we did. Although I think there's some stuff worth noting, and I think there is some stuff going on at a high level in modern that it's good for us to check in on. And then we're probably going to put a little bit of more time into Pioneer after that because we've never done one of these for Pioneer. So a couple of things. Uh, to note. First is this uh, meta assessment is based off of the league, modern league that was shared with everybody on 5.27.22. So if you want to take a look at that to see all the lists, you can check out Goldfish or the Magic Online site. If you can find it on the Magic Online site, send me a note proving it and I will send you a $10 money order in the mail because I can't find anything on the website. But here's what I noticed about the the modern league itself. Number one is... There's only 51 decks in this dump. So the last time we checked in on Modern in a in a people's meta, there were 75. So in episode 165, there were nearly 50% more or a third less, depending on how you like to do your math. Now, Dave, do you recall, was that the first dump after the ban announcement? I think it might have been the first one or the second one. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember for sure. You know, I think it's, you know, it could be holiday related. It could be people are, you know, weather's better. People are playing a little less. I will say that anecdotally, when I've been looking at Magic Online lately, ever since the pioneer regaining of importance was announced, there has been less people in the modern leagues. Um, You know, there were around 1,400 people in modern leagues for a while towards the beginning of this year. It's looking a little bit more like 1,000 or 1,100 the last couple of times I've been in there. Um, And so I think there is a little bit of slightly less kind of flow going on in modern right now than there has been at different times. The other thing to note is that I don't personally think that Streets of New Capenna has really had too much direct impact on lots of the decks in in modern i do think there's some really notable cards that are important uh, as i look through this list i was really keeping a keen eye out for streets of new capenna cards we'll talk about those specifically as we kind of zip through this metagame because i think that we're going to try to not talk too much about decks that didn't change very much but the big cards that i noticed in here are the cards that came up the most frequently from streets of new capenna include triumphs so there's lots of decks that are running Triumphs. They're on, on Shard Triumphs as a one-of, basically, which we kind of thought would happen. There's a lot of Ledger Shredder. I mean, everybody was allowed for, uh, along for that ride over the last few weeks. Unlicensed Hearse is in many decks, in the sideboards, in the main decks, as a new kind of like piece of graveyard hate that's that lots of people are using. Extraction spe- Specialist is starting to show up in humans lists. And then the last card that I noticed that's there... Uh, last couple cards are Titan of Industry and Shadow of Mortality are the ones that showed up in the most decks to me. And look, before we we point out every time that Unlicensed Hurst is is seen in the deck list, I'm just going to, you know, uh, eat my hat and be like, Stan was right. Unlicensed Hurst is is a good sideboard card. Sometimes even main deck these days. And uh, yeah, so that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna own it now. Me too. Hope this is a really good reminder to never doubt me again in anything, especially matters of the heart fair uh i will say the thing that really killed me with unlicensed hearse is remember if you remember when we talked about that card when it was spoiled a lot of what we were kind of like is well what about scavenging news well guess where i saw unlicensed hearse not in this league but in other places in ponza (laughs) is where i saw unlicensed hearse and i was like oh it's over (laughs) for scavenging news there is a deck here i can't remember which one it is but uh i'll call it out in the notes once we get to it where it's a green deck that just cuts scoose and plays hearse instead Yep. Yep. Hearst, good card. So I think that uh, 
you know, that's what we're, that's the first thing that we wanted to apologize for here. I think that realistically we'll talk (laughs) about this. Hey, hey, apology accepted. Okay, great. And I'm, I'll be waiting. I've emailed the Paul, uh, Unlicensed Hearst directly already, and we'll see if they get back to me. We can talk about big up arrows and down arrows after this. So why don't we dive into the decks themselves? So we kind of tried to list them in two buckets this time, basically mainstream and not mainstream. And so if you want to think tier one versus not tier, kind of, I guess you could think that way. I don't think it's quite that clean. It never is that clean in modern to me. But we tried to kind of cut at maybe the most influential decks, the 10 or 12 most influential decks in this current mainstream bucket. And usually, you know, in the past, we've had a past mainstream and a rogues bucket. This this deck dump, there's enough, few enough decks that we really just have two buckets here. It's it's either mainstream or it's not mainstream. And I don't think that we can start with any other deck right now other than quote-unquote blink Yorian decks, or as they used to be called, uh, on the one hand, you have Elementals, and on the other hand, you have four-color Omnath, not Elemental version. So you have your four-color control mid-range deck as whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I feel like these decks get lumped together pretty frequently, and I think that makes sense when just kind of like casually looking at them. But then like every time I look more closely, I'm like, well, what's like really making these decks work in a different fashion? So let me tell you what I see and what I've experienced playing against them. But I think you all are both playing a little bit more modern than I have recently. So I'd love to hear your insight on this. But like, essentially, these both feel like they're big mid-range con- decks with control aspects. So like, they're going to have prismatic ending. They're going to have a holy heat, and those are really good for decks like this because they handle early threats and late game threats because they scale with the, the amount of mana colors of mana you have available to you in decks like these, and you're going to get four or even five colors sometimes, or you're going to have Delirium to turn on your Unholy Heat. So those are like really good, just, you know, the best removal, some of the best removal, I think, if not the best we have in modern. And then you're going to have walkers like Renin 6 and Teferi 3, because that makes sure you hit your land drops. It lets you interact with small creatures, lets you bounce things for value, lets you stop Cascade from going off early, all that kind of good stuff. Fury and Solitude interact with the opponent's board, lets you have endgame threats. You have They both have Eladami's Call, lets you tutor up needed creature-based interactions, Silver Bullets, like, let's say, Magus of the Moon. Then they're both, of course, Yorian Omnath decks. But like the distinction that I see in these uh, Elementals wants to gain more value on the board with Risen Reef and Ephemerate. And then four-color Omnath-style decks don't use those cards. They get access to things like Ragavan, which seems a little bit interesting in a deck that's eventually trying to go over the top, but Ragavan's just so good that why not run it, I guess? It also can ramp your mana. It has Counterspell, and then it, get, and then it runs Expressive Iteration for ongoing card advantage and selection as well. So these both exist kind of eternally in the the what we what we know as modern now, right? But I don't have insight into what makes either one of these decks better than the other if either one is and what goes into making a decision which one you're going to play if you want to play a style of deck like this. And so I wanted to pick your both both your all brains about what your feelings are about these decks and how people are selecting one or the other. I'm not sure either i guess i mean for me for me i just think that one of them is more controlling than the than the other and i think you nailed it like the elementals one is looking for that risen reef synergy it's looking to leverage ephemerate for comes into play triggers trying to draw cards that way get 
extra lands into play that way, where the, the Omnath one is just a little bit more controlly, has more spells-based interaction and things like that. You know, I, the one thing I will say is these decks are not different thanks to Streets of New Capenna. And I think that we're entering a phase where a lot of people, I think, believe that this, what we kind of thought might happen after Loris was banned has come to pass, which is Yorian is now the problem and towards the top of the meta and, and all those kind of kind of things. And I will say, I, I don't remember often seeing people play a deck, like play a deck and complain about it as much as what people are doing with this deck on Twitter right now is people who are playing this well are saying, I'm tired of playing this deck and I don't want to play decks with this many decisions or they run the clock out this often anymore. It, it is interesting, the difference with this and, and Luris though, which is, I feel like Luris kind of went into a lot of slightly different strategies, whereas this tends, Yorion at least tends to appear in more homogenized decks that look more similar than they are different. Yeah, I think a lot of that is because Yorian blinks, yeah. right? So like you you want to have good blink targets and we have like some really obvious high value blink targets in in the elementals in things like uh what land-based enchantments that can draw cards, things like that are like the things you want to be blinking abundant growth. So that's just the kind of stuff that you're going to run along with Yorian. And of course, we see like some more rogue strategies where they're also getting ETB blink style benefits. But because Yorian is a late game threat, and you can just close the door on your opponent by saying, like, yeah, I'm going to draw like five cards and, you know, exile some more of your creatures on the side of the battlefield and just win from here very easily. All right. In interest of time, I will note that there was only one of each of these lists in this. There's an elemental list from a player named Greenhide One and a four color Omnath deck from a player named XL Snapcaster. There's not enough variation in these decks to have multiple lists within the deck dumps anymore, at least right now. Um, I don't know if you remember, but not too long after Luris and when these decks started to get really popular, we we did one of these, and I think there was four or five different versions of Omnath, but not right now. All right, next deck, deck group I wanted to talk about. Two different decks, but still both very popular. But there was also only one of each, so there's not there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of similarity between the lists that are trophying here because I'm sure these decks are getting lots of trophies. Would be Crashing Footfalls by Shindy and Four Color Living End by China Rapov. Ah, uh, yes. And um, these decks, very standard to me. They don't really have any cards that are from Streets of New Capenna either, so I'm not sure if we want to get too deep into it, but I do think that these are still kind of the class of modern right now and probably right behind uh, Four Color as far as things you should keep in mind when you are playing. Any thoughts on these, Stan, as someone who has pretty good experience with both decks? I feel like Crashing Footfalls is more Tier 2 than Living End, and Living End is more of a deck that people are kind of gunning for, in part thanks to Unlicensed Hearse and some other Graveyard Hate pieces. Um, I don't know, I've, I've been seeing just people refer to Footfalls as like this dinky deck that just kind of happens to keep winning. <laughs> people have been saying that for a year, though, and it's know, like it's still, thing. it keeps coming, it keeps putting up results, yeah. you know, so... I mean, they're good. They're, they're they're good linear decks. They're one card combo decks in some cases. Yeah, living it, yeah. I think, is just more vulnerable to hate because sometimes you'll fill up your graveyard and then they'll blow up your graveyard in one turn, and then you're just kind of screwed. Where do you think these decks would be if they didn't get the channel lands? I feel like the channel lands are kind of shoring them up against hate pieces. You know, they're 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 pretty powerful. To be clear, Boseju and Odawara, we're talking about with right. With yeah. Us. yeah. I think they would still be just as good or, you know, 
Maybe they're maybe they would be a little bit worse, but Poseidon certainly clears up some stuff for these decks. But they don't really have a way to tutor them, mm-hmm. you know. Unlike something like Titan does to be able to get things, or you know, some other decks in Pioneer. So, like, I you know, I don't know if it's that. I mean, it is a big deal, but I don't know if it's quite like that huge of a deal. Yeah, I mean, like Living End finds them better and more frequently just because Living End is drawing through so much more of its deck. Right, as part of its main plan. I, th- I think that's an astute observation, though, Shane, just because Odawara solves the Teferi problem, which is a huge problem, and it gets around the Teferi restriction, and Boseju solves the Chalice of the Void problem. And it's so efficient. Like, every time I cast Boseju, I'm just like, man, this can't this is one in the green. Yeah, yep. the, the cost of Boseju is absurd, for sure. All right. Uh, after that, you know, the next thing I think comes to a lot of people's minds is... Blue, I'm going to call it blue-red tempo as a broad bucket, <laughs> but we're going to talk about Merktide really here. And the list that we have that we're looking at is from F-E-R underscore magic. But the big thing here is this list has four Ledger Shredders and three Merktides. And so there's a lot of people who I think are going back about, well, how many Merktide do we need to play? Is Ledger Shredder as good of a threat as Merktide? Is it different? Do we need multiple ones? You know, Michael Rapp wrote a whole article recently for Card Kingdom talking about how he was switching his builds from, from having Merktide regenerate a four of to doing something more like this instead. You know, this, the thing that's really interesting about this particular list from FER Magic is there's no Dragon's Rage channelers in it. We're also not seeing that as a swap out all the time, too, where it's Ledger Shredder over instead of Dragon's Rage Channeler. A lot of times they're running both. Still, this list has this list in particular list has a few extra cards, but it's not enough cards to be able to have the other people who who trophied with a more standard Murktide build also get listed in the dump this time. First of all, I thought that Michael Rapp article was excellent. I, I recommend checking it out if you haven't yet, especially if you're a Murktide player and kind of curious to see someone explain the thinking behind the spread of Ledger Shredder versus Murktide specifically. And I think he made a pretty strong argument for cutting Murktides in this case. And some of those successful uh, Murktide decks from recent modern challenges over this this weekend, certainly, and maybe over the last couple of weeks, have kind of started adopting Michael's suggestion of just like going down to two Murktides, playing the full grip of Ledger Shredders, and also keeping... Dragon's Rage Channelers, just because Channeler is still one of the strongest one-drops you can play in these colors and in the format. So, I, I pulled up Michael's article, but I haven't looked at it yet. My my gut feeling is that because multiple Merktides are not great in your hand, and you don't really want to have them gumming up your draws, it's kind of like you know Dig Through Time or Treasure Cruise in decks where you're not ridiculously filling your graveyard where it's like, yeah, I'm going to cast one of these and that's all I really need for game. So like going down to three seems pretty relevant, especially when you have so much ability to get through your deck in a, in a deck like this. So two Merktides can be good. It's the third Merktide that I think is actually actively bad. And, and that's kind of why I like just playing two because thanks to Expressive Iteration and Consider and Ledger Shredder, Shredder you are going through your deck pretty quickly. And with Shredder in particular, and I guess Consider for that matter, you can actively fill up your graveyard so that you can support two Merktides and you know play the first one as a 3-3, play the second one as an 8-8, and then you have two 8-8s because of how the card is templated. So I think that's that's kind of the play. The, the second Merktide is bad if you're running out an early dragon, 
whereas if your game is going long and then you can just do double Merc Tides in one turn, that's when it kind of feels like you're inevitable. So still one of the one of the class of the format for sure. The other deck I threw into this bucket, even though it's not doing well right now or mostly not doing well, is Grixis Death Shadow. Another place where people are playing Ledger Shredder. I think these are sort of like the the best, quote unquote, the some of the best Ledger Shredder decks right now, let's say. You know, I, I don't think that Grixis Death Shadow is really coming back. It's just got so many of the same cards as Murktide that I wanted to talk about it really briefly here. But really, it's just Shredder and Luris really hurt this deck. Like Lur- Luris being gone, you know, took away a lot of the deck's ability to grind grind in the long game, and you can still do okay with it. But it's it's not great, and I think it's just not it's just not very popular right now. I mean, when Mike someone like Michael Rapp is switched off of Death Shadow finally, you know that it's probably time to, you know. You know, he's probably the one turning out the lights when he leaves, shuts the store down till it's till it's time to come back. It really does surprise me how far this deck, these types of strategies, fell with losing Luris. Like maybe I shouldn't, but like just they're they they look so efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything this deck is doing still is dirt cheap, still is really effective still looks like some of the best spells you can be playing in the format, but it's just apparently not getting there. And there's, and it's, and that kind of does blow me away. And I think it, the Grixis's fall, I think is perhaps the truest display of what it did for a strategy like this. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget what it did for Jund and Rakdos mid range too, all of which are kind of on the outs at this point as well. But yeah, well, it, it just gave all those mid-range decks the ability to grind that they don't have now. And yeah. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why we still see Hammer actually have like a little bit more success relative to these shadow decks is that Hammer has tools to grind and and or just like combo win out of nowhere sometimes if your opponent doesn't respect the Hammer sure. deck adequately. Yeah. I mean, GDS could be playing uh, the memory chip or whatever, right? Uh, I'm surprised reality it hasn't chip? even tested. The, yeah, reality chip, the memory chip. You know, mm. Johnny Five is alive. You have to equip it to something to do that. And you're not super, you know. Yeah, you, you have a very mana hungry and landlight deck. Yeah, but anyway, do it. Do it Shane, anyway. I love the thought. Get get hey, ruined. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not playing this deck. All right, next deck on my list, or the next one that I think is worth talking about in modern, as we close out the stuff that's really at the top of the meta right now is Yogmoth. I think is has done sufficiently well enough recently that I think it should be considered in that top, top tier of decks in modern. Uh, the problem is, at least for our purposes, it's nothing new about this deck right now. It's still the same deck. I don't know. You know, it doesn't, it's not easy to innovate in the, in this deck. I think uh, there's sometimes one of stuff like that that pops up to give it some extra dimensions, but really nothing new going on here with this Yawgmoth list from Gablesman. I will say though, that Demonic Tutors, of course, won the Saturday challenge this week with Yawgmoth. One of the best decks. Yeah, I should be playing this deck, right? Like, I should be just playing this creature combo deck because it's a good creature combo deck that that has a lot of ways to to win. It certainly it plays fun cards. It's certainly one that's a little bit easier or a little bit harder to get punished by creature removal right away, depending once you know what you're doing. I think you know if, than something you know like me, Druid did or something like that. But yes, if 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 you've talked to me 176 times, you know I hate playing creature combo into removal. Yes. <laughs> Next deck on the on the list is Burn. Burn is the same as Burn is basically ever is. There's some interesting sideboard choices here, but that's it. It's Burn by North Decay. North Decay is a well-known Burn player. Does it a lot. Titan is the next thing on my list. 
Uh, the only thing I saw that was interesting, well, there are some weird things in Titan. There's two Amulet Titan lists in this deck dump. Jim, Jamie, JR, and Monty's 0801. Let's start with Monty's deck. Uh, it's a normal list. Normal mm-hmm. Titan list, nothing new really going on here. Um, it has Hurst in the sideboard, which is cool. It has un- unlicensed Hearst. Um, I think that's a good sideboard piece for it to have. It's not, uh, you know, you don't often see Titan like attacking the graveyards of their opponents, but they must have decided that yeah. they really want to make it happen. Uh, Bajuka Bog oh, does it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you don't usually see them doing it with a non land card. Right. I guess. And, and, and they're running both. They're running the Bajuka Bog and the Hearst here, which yeah. I think is interesting. And, and maybe it's just, just to have Hearst as a cheap threat that can get out of control against yeah. Living End. Um, because it gets around Living End, especially, I think, yeah. is, is maybe kind of the thing where you can sometimes blow out um, a Titan player, whether they're on the Dryad plan or if they actually have a resolved Titan just by cascading into Living End at instant speed. Yeah. I want to see Primeval Titan crewing the unlicensed hearse. That's one like, <laughs> I want that yeah. you know, visual metaphor in my brain as, as, it, as it swings at me, like a 12 12. I mean, it does occur hearse. to me that I. Honestly, didn't realize until you just said that that Dryad crews it, which might be pretty right. significant. Yeah, I was wondering what's the most efficient way to crew it, and I think it's Dryad. Uh, the next deck on the list, the other one by uh, Jamie Jr., is a 80-card Yorian Titan list. We've seen these occasionally, very occasionally, but this one has some weird stuff in it. I mean, it's got a Titan of Industry. It's got your Cultivator Colossus, which you know you do see quite often. It's got Wall of Blossoms in the deck to kind of build out more more creature density. Forty three lands in the main deck, including Flagstones of Trocare, some other stuff. I don't think I own that many lands. Forty three lands total. <laughs> it also it. It's it's a Elvish Reclaimer deck too. Yes, it's got Elvish Reclaimer in it too, which explains the flagstones of Trocara, right? So it's kind of that combination of Titan and Reclaimer. Uh, this is like Goodlands yeah. dot deck, but uh, yeah, interesting. Okay, moving on from here, three different hammer lists in this deck uh, deck dump. Surprisingly, no new cards in any of them. We had a hammer time from EDB. We had a list from minus one ten and Pedro Gush. A um, couple of interesting things. So the EDB list had pretty stock list by my eye, except for they had four Dranith magistrates in the sideboard. We are really I love not, the sideboard. We really don't want to don't want to lose to living end, huh? No, I think this this sideboard. Or rhinos, yeah, that's matter. right. Yeah, cascade basically. It doesn't want to lose to elementals. It has four Hushbringer. It doesn't want to lose to, to uh, Fury. It has Burlington Forge Tender. Forge Tender doesn't want to lose to red based aggro decks of any kind. I love the sideboard. It, it doesn't want to lose to the mirror with its one of oh Menariki yeah Gusari. The classic beautiful deck. Yeah. The next one minus one ten has Grand Abolisher in the side. Uh, EDH Ooh. I think staple. I think that yeah. that's a card that is surprisingly expensive. Uh, pretty interesting here. And then the last one is an interesting... So this Pedro Gush list is one that is sort of hammer time, but sort of not hammer time in some ways, um, because it's got a whole bunch more mid-rangey kind of cards in it. Instead, it's got Ranger Captain of Eos. It's got Four Solitude. It's got Burnt and Forge Tender in main. It's got the full Stoneforge Mystic package with Calder Complete and a Sword of Fire and Ice. So it's a little bit more of a... We're a Stoneforge deck that we're putting hammers on. Yes, it has none of the zero right. drops, which which I think is 
kind of like, and, and it's also running, I think, chalices in the side. Did it's got right? two chalices of the void in the side. Yeah. Two chalices in the side. So this is just going like all in on Stoneforge more than, than Hammer, and then Hammers are there for value, I think. Yeah. I do want to revisit the the minus deck for a second if we can because this is the Azorius version with like the reality chip main mm-hmm. and but I do like where these decks are sort of evolving into where they're kind of playing a little bit more disruption with this has three main deck spell pierce and a couple blacksmith skill which is slowly becoming a staple in these decks I think people were on the fence by it but you know just having a, a permanent gain hexproof and also uh, get buffed is a really nice addition for such a, a cheap cost of one white mana and then it is able to pivot even stronger, more strongly into this disruption package with three mana leak because you don't have a ton of blue mana. So playing mana leak in a deck as fast as this will often just be a straight up counter spell. And then Lavinia Azorius Renegade has also slowly cemented herself as a, a really good spell against cascade strategies and things like that. Tron, if you happen to run into that. So yeah, I think this deck looks sweet. I'm, I, I should revisit hammer again with some of these new cards. Rally chips only two bucks, so. Boo. I have a full art one. <laughs> Anybody want it? So, yeah, we Hammer, it was interesting to me to see these three different builds of Hammer. I mean, I think that it's around, it's still good, but there are people trying to figure out how to just make it better and how to take the core in surprising ways, like with that last one that comes a bit more, less aggro, a bit more mid-range. Uh, I think that that's kind of some cool stuff going on there as well. So this whole kind of Stoneforge equipment lists seem to have some potential to do some stuff still for sure uh next in the kind of uh in the meta category still mid-range slash jund so there were basically three mid-rangey decks in here that are kind of unexpected or expected i guess which is a jund version by mistaken and two rakdos mid-range different versions one is by lupert and one is by wazoo um, there's some different stuff going on with these, but the the Jund deck is pretty pretty normal, except for the fact that it does have Liliana the Veil back in. Interestingly, it does not have any Riveteer's Charm, which I'm pretty surprised by, I have to say. It seems kind of a shoe-in for a strategy like this, but maybe it's not. I just don't think it's efficient enough for modern. Like I was kind of hopeful in the in the spoiler episode that it would be, but I just think it's not. It's not enough. Yeah, I think mana. I think these kind of this kind of deck in I mean, this deck isn't even running any copies of Coligan's Command for what it's worth. It is running Four Season Pyromancer. It's running Renin Six and Liliana Vale. It's got all the kind of stuff there. But really, I think it's just kind of trying to be as efficient as possible with the mana it has for for what it can do, and then has a couple of three drop threats. Yeah, this is really just like Jun Saga with the good three mana cards. Right. Exactly. Rakdos mid-range. Let's take a quick look at this by Lopert. Uh, this one is Ragavan, Douthy Voidwalker, Kroxa, Turok, Dreadcantor, Season Pyromancer, and Liliana the Veil. So Liliana kind of trying to reestablish themselves as a threat in, in modern here. A lot of people thought it wasn't going to do it. People are still trying, though. Yeah. I, I've played against this, and I feel like this deck is a little better than maybe the metagame gives it credit for. And the biggest thing that just seeing this list made me realize, though, is that Hidetsuku Consumes All is not a hype card yeah. anymore. Too bad. I think I bought three at a decent price. Yes. Decently <laughs> high price, yes. I mean. I think I did, too, actually. It's down to $4 again, huh? 
You know, but I do agree with you, Stan. I think the deck, um, the strategy is good. I know Spike was just testing like a slightly up, uh, updated Rakdos mid-range deck for uh, himself today. He had two main deck unlicensed Hearse, I will mention, by the way. so mm-hmm. It's just Dothy Voidwalker. I, I think card. It's, it's such a good card. The fact that it cheats on mana with, with its uh, tap ability. Um, yeah. You know, when you sacrifice crazy it to stuff. the... the yeah, to recast whatever has a void counter on it. Yeah, like I was playing uh, Cascade League and someone used out the Void Walker to just like steal a Shardless Agent for me. And just then they they two for one me that way and then <laughs> kept, kept two for one me the rest of the game because that's what this deck does. And yeah, I, I think it's I impressive. Mean, void Walker was, was my pick to be like the broken card. In Horizons 2, it definitely has not come close to that, but I think that there is a lot of potential for what a card like that does. It's always lurking, uh, trying to find the best home to do fair-ish and broken-ish things, so I'm fine with it. And speaking of lurking, the other red-black Rakdos deck here, a little bit of an interesting kind of, uh, you know, it has that kind of feigned death version to it so it has your evoke elementals it's got four grief and four fury in it but it also has four malachir rebirth one feign death and one undying malice so it's got a little bit of like a that sub theme of the we're not ephemerating but we're still abusing the pitch elementals in a way where they stay after they get evoked which Mm -hmm. is a uh it's a cool you know cool thing to see them try to use that for value yeah, this is that deck that pascal maynard's been playing a lot in modern so this is you know uh, i think pretty darn similar if not the same so th- this deck has some legs I, this is definitely on like my short list of decks i want to be playing and testing out i actually think this deck is pretty bad <laughs> really probably i'm really I, I i played against it and i played with it and i've just never seen it do anything particularly impressive and you feel like you're doing something powerful when you can blink a grief or a fury but then you just sort of run out of cards really quickly and yeah that's I, what season power master is for my friend yeah yeah that's fair i don't know we'll see this is I just not want to cast villa's rights okay this isn't actually pascal maynard is it is was no, it's not, not pascal right no i think uh, i think pascal maynard is pascal maynard oh well that makes sense there you go what's next dave okay control this is where uh, yorian comes back to bug us some more biggest thing here nothing yorian. really new from yes nothing really new from uh from Streets of New Capenna, but yes, Yorian is here. The other thing is that it feels a little bit like Narset is coming back because of maybe a little bit because of Ledger Shredder, where the trigger is not a May. And so, you know, you can make your opponent discard if they have a bunch of Ledger Shredders out there. Uh, but really, I think the biggest thing about the, these three lists there's an Azorius Control list from Benny Hills, there's an Azorius Control list from Curtis Axel, and there's a Jeskai Control list from Larry Carey. A lot of Wandering Emperor. Mm-hmm. Another card Shane needs to apologize for. You do you have that apology? You want to do that one again too, or nope? We've crossed no, that no. bridge. There's only one or two here. I don't care. I, I expect full play sets or nothing. Yeah, I apologize <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> yeah. So the second one, the Curtis Axel deck, that's the Yorion version. That's the one playing Narset. The thing that this made me realize is that not only does Narset help pad just like the deck restriction of Yorion, but it also helps improve the consistency of a deck running 80 cards since narset can actually find every non-land card in this deck yeah drawing cards is good turns out drawing cards can be good what do you what do you think about i guess every non-land card except the four solitude but but otherwise like it finds your removal your counter magic sweepers yeah 
I mean, what do you think about con- this type of control in general? I mean, it seems like they're kind of behind the four color stuff, which isn't really control. It's kind of mid rangey, but maybe going over the top of them could be something. I think this just gets all of its card advantage from a different place. Like, for instance, this Jeskai control list by Larry Carey, it's it's essentially the Wafo Tapo Jeskai right. list where like it's still counting on Teferi here of Dominaria and like Snapcaster Mages to generate a lot of its advantage or, or even a memory deluge here and there. It's interesting that it's Jeskai, it's not even playing expressive iteration. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's just playing fire and ice and crumble to dust. It doesn't even want to do iteration. Right. So I, I don't have a good answer for what why you'd play four color over this, except maybe this is a little less vulnerable to aggressive blood moons. All right. Well, that ends this sort of normal section of the main of the mainstream. But there is one last block of decks that I think we have to talk to that are in the mainstream, but kind of all put in one bucket, and that's other combo, basically. So we had an Oops All Spells list by Mala Grinja, a Belcher by Bob Forty Nine. Hello, it's Bob Forty Nine. Grixis Creativity by Gift Shop, Grinding Station by Spaceman Spliff, Glimpse Combo by Talisker, and Calibrated Blast by Zekeri. These are all combo decks that we are familiar with from modern and all seem pretty good still and these right are now. all spell-based combo decks right when we say combo yeah yeah i mean i think they all are doing different they're definitely not creature combos i mean these are all i mean these are just like all the decks that i hate <laughs> basically so i put them in one one block here at the end but yeah, I mean, grinding stations maybe not spell based in the same way. Yeah. I mean, it's breach based. It uses a lot of permanence. Grixis creativity, of course, has that aspect of you know setting yourself up with those tokens, but being able to use creativity to get rid of a problematic permanent on the other side of the board if you need to. A Belcher and Oops, we're familiar with those. Those those all abuse the the double face card mechanic to be able to do bad things with your lands. And then glimpse combo is kind of a cascady build it uses throws of chaos and then right doesn't it use throws of chaos too i know that calibrated blast no, does no, oh, no. Glimpse, glimpse, glimpse uses deck. final offer stack yeah sorry, sorry and, and charless agent like you can almost put this into the the cascade category because yeah that's right it's still really this is almost like those. another take on footfalls in some some ways and then yeah the calibrated blast is the one that uses throws of chaos and to be able to get blast going big and you know you got your giant giant cards i do think all these decks are legit right yes. now like of the the kind of weird breaking the rules of magic slightly decks like this feels like the mo the a pretty deep bench of that type of deck that's still reasonable right Can now we get into the weeds on like two of these a little bit and what sure. i'm curious about is we're seeing uh, an offer offer you can't refuse in belcher a little bit and are you strictly just like countering something early of your own to ramp? Or is there something where you can do this to generate more mana, like the same turn? Because I don't think there's like mana efficiency there, right? Maybe you can just get, because you if you cast a spell and then cast offer, you can't refuse, then you're not really going up mana. Yes, you are because you can do it with. Oh, that's a yes, zero, zero right? spell. So it's a zero or you can do it with noxious Revi- revival, which is also a zero card so that that gives you a chance to be able to go up in mana if you want to um so i mean that's the theory i i don't know how much you know bob 49 is of course the belcher person of all belcher 
people. And um, I, I don't know exactly what the goal of just having one in here, if it was just trying something out. I doubt it was for early interaction. I got to assume that it was probably for um, for that going up in mana. But, um, you know, it also we'll does see. act as like a protect your combo against counter spells where it's like, if I can just stop this one spell from my opponent, then I can win the game. I don't care if they have treasures, treasure tokens. So you can use it in a, you know, as, as fair a way that this card was designed. Sw- yeah. Swan song. Them. I don't think it's happening, but you can, <laughs> you can do it. And then the other ones, oh. what else did you want to talk about? So grinding station is the one that's running yeah. ledger shredder in it. And the one that, that Jesse's written, Jesse Robin, who we talked about the last couple of weeks has written a whole primer on it's a deck that's kind of getting more and more popular again, but it only has one ledger shredder in it, which is pretty interesting. In this case, I've seen it with as many as three. Stan, you, you, you pointed some I stuff think. out about calibrated blast in the notes. And I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. Oh yeah. So I played against it and it really impressed me. I, I was on, I was doing a blue white control league played a lot of magic this week. I was doing a league with blue eye control and this kind of wrecked me. And and maybe that's because this is a good matchup against control. But one of the things that I never really noticed about calibrated lat blast is that it's just a three mana card. You can just cast yeah. it and, oh, yeah. and blast them. It also has, it also has flashback. So you can recast it if you need to. And then it also essentially like, if you consider the flashback, it's basically 12 copies. If if you want to be a stickler, you essentially have eight copies of it because this deck also runs uh, Throws of Chaos, you know, anywhere from three to four of those, which is a four mana cascade spell with retrace. So you just yeah. all you can do with throws is cascade into blast, ding them for like, I don't know what, 15 damage, right. if not more. And then throws having retrace you can just redo it or you just flash back the calibrated blast it's essentially a one card combo deck and when i realized that all it does is just this one card combo and then play 37 lands it kind of seemed like uh, an interesting archetype that might be worth exploring at least for myself i mean i think this deck is real and is even more real now because of shadow because it has another card that hits for 15 instead of one that hits for 14 um, and also, I have seen people cast the Shadow Mortality sometimes in the same way that it casts Sign of Draco sometimes. I mean, the deck doesn't do anything else other than Perfect. Calibrated Blast, use some lands to to do some interaction, and occasionally cast a threat. But it does win games occasionally by like swinging in for four after one blast or something like that. But yeah, that is the thing that's the most annoying about this deck is that you think that you get through the first blast and you're like, well, they can't do anything about it again. And they're like, nope, all my spells recur basically so you need to have graveyard hate yeah i mean having no setup is just such a big draw here right like you know people have been messing around with reanimator for months and months and months and it having pretty much no true stickiness i think because you have to set it up you have to avoid the graveyard hate you don't have enough copies of persist to really make the deck be consistent this is just the dream world like you said right stan it's just like cast a spell and then you can cast the spell again just by the innate text on the spell itself. So yeah, just live in the dream world. Dream on. So I think there's a lot of stuff here. If you like crazy combo decks, there's a lot of potential and there's as much potential in modern as there ever has been right now. I think, especially if you're like, Hey, I even like to play cascade desk. I mean, two of the best decks in the format, I think are cascade as well. And then these ones, I really don't think these ones are far behind. Truthfully. 
Okay, so that's the end of the the kind of top end of the meta. And then from here, we'll go down into the kind of the just outside the mainstream stuff. We'll probably zip through these pretty quick. Oh, will but we? any any thoughts on the top top end of the meta? Seems like the top end of the meta. It's, I don't know if it's any smaller than I would say it was in the past. I think I, after we get through the outside the mainstream decks, I think I have some more topics I want to talk about with y'all. But yeah, this is, I would agree that these are like, the decks I would expect to play against and like good decks that I expect to see at tournaments or things like this. Yep. All right. So in the interest of having time to talk about pioneer, I am going to go quickly through these ones. So first thing that I noticed outside of just outside the mainstream decks that are maybe on the way up affinity of different kinds, there was a, a two different affinity lists, one from skip Chino and one from XBZ 98. Uh, one was more aggro. One was more Urza-ish. You know, we've talked about these decks a bunch of times. I think that they they are going to keep being around and being right on the edge. And some people think these decks are straight up broken, and we know that they're very good in Legacy, like things based off of being able to cast four Thought Monitors and four Thought Seeds are good in that shell as well. So I think this is just going to continue to be around. Yeah, I need to take Affinity, like True Affinity, through a few leagues, because nothing, nothing says me, like just beating down with a bunch of gigantic robots and going wide off like psi tokens or stuff like that sounds great yeah next bucket prowess i think has been making a little bit of a, a comeback so mono red prowess with breach has become something that people are really trying out there's all kinds of different stuff going on here i think that it's a deck that i've been meaning to play i haven't been able to to get to um, but I do think it's not quite broken through yet, though people are starting to switch back from mono red to is it's of different versions. There's even Jeskai ones that I've seen floating around where they have white sideboard, you know, the sight winner deck that's here. By the way, it listed on Met, uh, MTG Goldfish as generic Ragavan. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's running expressive iteration and serum, a little bit of serum visions, one serum visions, then a bunch of white sideboard cards along with Underworld Breach. I think that the big key tech here for Prowess right now really is people trying underworld reach just for value in these decks and just seeing where it go where it goes instead of it just being a straight up combo card some of these decks like the ak guy 152 is running three breach in yeah. their mono red prowess deck and that's i mean that's a commitment to that card because like when i was playing around with the is it version of this deck like it was a good late game draw but like i really didn't want that card early because you can't filter it away, especially in mono red. Like in Is It, you can with Shredder. You could you could dump it if you need right. to. In this, it's just going to be in your hand until you have enough cards in your graveyard to really turn it on. And man, I just don't know if I I, I think that three three is where I want to be. But clearly, they did well enough. Yep. And then we had one person, bless her heart, Pal CR five running Is It Prowess with Stormwing Entity. Like it's the summer of 2020. I wish you well. Um, combo in this kind of rogues area. Four color Vivian value. We talked about that last week. I mean, this is this. It's very different, but yeah, you get the idea. It's doing similar things. Yeah, yeah. When we talk about how different it is, though, like basically, it's just cutting the infinite mana combo and and ways to spend infinite mana, right? And kind of just going a little bit more value oriented with Vivian pod shenanigans. I mean, it's also, it's it's really different, honestly. Like, let's just get in there. Like, it's an 80-card Yorian deck. There's there's no Karn. There's no Wishboard. The ramp's different. Utopia Sprawl Arbor Elf. No Mana Elf. Or no Mana Goblin. There's no Sahili Felidar combo in here. It's just, like, 
Renegade Rallier is in there, which gets a two mana value card back out of your hand if it's triggered, if you have Revolt triggered. So out of the graveyard, goes back to the battlefield. So what, you can get Oath of Nyssa, Utopia Sprawl, Arbor Elf, or Renin Six are the only options. And then Rallier on its own is a three mana three two which is not like my favorite floor of a card. So I'm, I'm, that's a, re- a really interesting conclusion for me, where it's maybe it's just like, I've played two Oath of Nyssa and one Legendaries in the graveyard, so I want to dig a little bit more, or someone killed my Renin Six. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about Rallier here is that in this deck in general, it is playing four Felidar Guardians. And because it doesn't have Sahili, you can just get some value off of Felidar Guardians by blinking things like Rallier or solitudes, you know, even resetting a planeswalker. Yeah, I just I just don't think that many like targets are there for the rallier. But yeah, it's 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 different. It's a it's a yeah. different one. Yep. Yeah. All right, then we had as ad nauseum by Salami. Nothing too new other than there was one of a card called Intervention Pact, which I have never seen before. It's uh, other than that, it's just ad nause. It does have a couple of offer you can't refuse, which is, you know, people are trying that card in these these kind of decks. I know that the ad nause Discord was pretty interested in offer you can't refuse. Next bucket. There's always going to be a bucket until something breaks through for vile decks, essentially. And there were a lot of vile and tribal decks here. So some of them are vile, some of them aren't. But we have goblins. We have four-color humans. We have Azorius spirits, Golgari elves, rogues, and death and taxes. Many of them have no new cards, but the card, the decks that were pretty interesting, I thought. So the one that stood out to me the most was Four Color Humans. Yeah, this deck's cool. Honestly. And that is running four Vile and four Pyre of Heroes. And this deck later top aided one of the challenges this weekend as well. And my understanding is that the big move here is to Pyre of Heroes away a two drop to go get Extraction Specialist to get yes. the two drop back yes. immediately. And so what you're doing is maybe double Thalia's Lieutenant, maybe Charming Prince and blinking yep. some stuff, or not blinking stuff, but you know, getting getting some stuff and kind of going from there. I mean, Watcher for tomorrow is just card just card advantage when you yeah. get it. It's yeah, like you said, Charming Prince, you can get a meddling mage. You sort of get a value meddling mage. Or it's like you get it on the battlefield to stop a spell, but you also have the extraction specialist on the board, which can swing a little bit harder. I love the uh, getting another Thalia's lieutenant trigger for sure. Yeah. Like that just seems seems like a pretty cool deck. Actually, the rogues deck was pretty cool. It's just kind of powered up rogues with no no new cards. You know, these are these are fun. GRM rush, Lafore, Fabi, Strategist, Gonkers, and Ghost. We see you. Keep violin until it works again. Um, I just want to say one thing really quick. I never realized this about this about elves in general that I only recognized after seeing this strategist list is the combo between Elvish Champion and Yavamaya Cradle of Growth, where if you have an Elvish Champion and Yavamaya out, all of your elves are unblockable. Mm-hmm. That's Wombo it's Combo, good. baby. Two cards. It's like a, it's like a Mega Lord of Atlantis. Yeah. Heck yeah. How come there isn't a blue one that makes all land islands? Maybe someday. Maybe someday. That'll be the day I finally play blue in modern. <laughs> exactly. All right, Tron. Two Trons, each more diminished than the last one. We got Mono Green Tron from CH Jets and Eldrazi Tron from Aluren 85. Not, not new cards here, but they're still totally good decks they still work there's nothing in particular in the metagame that i think really antagonizes them at the moment but um 
Yeah. The most interesting thing is that World Breaker is starting to show up in Mono Green. Yes. Played against it too. Like, unless maybe I played against this player. I, I don't you might recall, have. I don't recall, but like, they can't, whoever cast a World Breaker against me just messed me up. And it made me wonder when and why is World Breaker good? Do we have a sense for that? When it can target things like in, was it enchantment artifact or non basic land or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, but that's, destroy. that's always, right? Yeah, it's always. I mean, Worldbreaker's always been one of those things that's like really on the bubble, and I'm surprised that CH Jet brought it back. I looked at other recently winning Tron lists, and I do not see Worldbreaker there. So maybe it's kind of a card that they're like identifying as having game in the contemporary meta. Also, what's interesting about this deck is it's heavy into Worm Coil. Four main deck Worm Coils. When that card is sometimes not even in Tron decks any longer. So. Uh, maybe CH Jet just identified, like, I want more bodies. Like, mm. I want a 5-7. I want a 6-6. Six, six. There's one line of text that we're skipping on World Breaker. Play lands in your re- graveyard or something? Or get it back it from has, ca- sacrificing a land? Uh, it has reach. It's a 5-7 with reach. Oh, it's real tall. And so it, I think it can help you. I mean, all the other stuff about it is good, but I think it can help you with it, it, threats in the air. Now, you're not often going to be able to, like, block a Murktide with it, but listen to this. Shredder. You get later in the game, yeah, you, you can block Shredders with it really effectively, but the other thing is you get late in the game and it's, you block someone's Murktide over and over again, you get to use the comes into play trigger a lot when you if you're recasting World Breaker a lot and you have some extra lands around. So, uh, you know, I think that there's probably some stuff going on there with World Breaker having reach and being reasonable because of that, too. Has Tron always been a budget deck? Because I'm looking at this tabletop $550 price tag, and I'm just like, that's cheap for modern. Yeah, I mean, Karn's reprinting and the diminishing returns of Tron. Mm-hmm. Here's the biggest thing. It's 76 tickets. <laughs> Tron is 76 tickets now. That's kind of unbelievable as well. I love it. Wow. I love it. Dan, can you yeah. quickly look up how much Russian Tron is for me? Thanks. You're welcome. No, I don't know how to do that. All right. Next bucket. Do we want to talk about Eldrazi Tron? Do you guys have any thoughts about it? My hot take is that this deck is good right now. Right now. Yeah, I think it depends on how much linear combos out there. Because unless you thought not Sierra, I don't think you're doing a lot against that. But yeah, I think... I mean, Chalice yeah. of the Void is really good against the Cascade decks. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm talking about like uh, spell-based combo. Like, you know, all the stuff where you, I cast this three or four mana spell and I win type thing. Right. Next up, a group of decks that I would call big mana rogues. <laughs> so we have... Mono Blue Tron by Keggers and two Mono Black Coffers lists from Jiaochen Jen and Dylan R. Mm-hmm. Uh, some interesting, weird things with these Mono Black decks. I don't think there's much new with the Mono Blue Tron list. They're always, there's one in every deck dump. You know it's always going to be there, but I, I don't think there's anything going on with that deck right now that would make it any different than it has been previously. These coffer decks are interesting, though. This is something that Spike was playing at the beginning of when Streets of New Competitive came out, right? Guys, I run into this deck constantly. N- oh, do you? Not every league, but more frequently than I think you may realize. I think this deck is just like kind of popular right now, and people are really curious about it. And for a while, I didn't even think it was that good. But it's been evolving. And one of the things that we're seeing here, at least in these lists, that I've started to face against is just like more main deck Liliana's. And it's kind of helped, I think, shore up some of what made this deck clunky in the past. Like, it was always a Karn deck and just kind of this big mana black deck that uh, used Invoke Despair as one of its other key win cons. 
but Liliana just being this ongoing value engine, I think just kind of helps it actually get better. And now I'm losing to it more often than I ever. Invoke Despair is starting to pop up, right? I've seen people talking about it in like Explorer, Rakdos, yeah. in Explorer and Pioneer as well. Um, I don't know. It's a card that I, fir- I glossed over at first because I was like, this is like a bad cruel ultimatum, but maybe it's like a good cruel ultimatum. <laughs> yeah, because it's only <laughs> one color. Yeah, it's one color. It costs five instead of seven. Still draws you cards. Maybe that's good. The other thing I'll, I'll just shout out in the Dylan R list that's kind of like coffers plus through Gorios through the breach is the combo of coffers plus final parting. So final parting is a five mana spell from Dominaria. Search your library for two cards, put one in your hand, the other in your graveyard, shuffle your library. And if you have coffers online, you can get Gristlebrand and Gorio's Vengeance and just or or Emrakul and Gorio's Vengeance and win on the spot. That's just a nice definitive way to use your infinite mana or, or your big mana to kind of take over the game without your opponents before your opponents have a chance to disrupt you. Cool. Yeah, cool tech. Cool, cool deck. Cool tech. Cool decks. All right. Next thing. Rogi combos. So I have a couple of things here just because they haven't popped. They're both decks that I think Aspiring Spike has spent some time with at different points in time. And this is Time Sea Food Combo uh-huh. by Alex Jett and then Jess Guy Lotus Field by Chase21. So we talked about Time Sea last week. We're going to leave it for a minute. We're going to sieve it for a minute. But Lotus Field, anybody have any thoughts about this? Four Crypto Command in this deck. What? I can't believe I didn't get a text alert. My Google alerts are broken. Yeah, I don't, wow. I don't know if Sorry, it's good. Dave. I don't know if it's good, but... I, hats off to a uh, poor crypto command player in this day and age in this economy in this climate all right the next bucket you know we always have this in the people's meadow the about Hayashi bucket the m hayashi <laughs> yes. bucket mono red mid rogues obosh aggro from casiso and then two different mono red mid range lists from m hayashi we love you we see you I just I just love how different these decks fundamental strategies are where it's like one has four blood boon, the other has four sagas with like a saga package type thing and just yeah, you know, I'm just I'm just going to win with this pile of red stuff and then some weird disruption or tutors or something like that. They're always always right on the edge and they're always trying to like the people who love these, they love them and uh, maybe I should love them. There's there's good cards in these decks. There's good cards in there. I don't like Chandra Torture Defiance that much, though. So, All right. And the final bucket that we have in Modern to talk about today is Mardu Reanimator. So there were three different Reanimator decks. There was a Mardu one from Lab Monkey, a blue-black one from Galinator, and a four-color one from First Turn Negator. Uh, it's a classic classic play. I, I want to talk about the four-color-ish one. because Me too. Yeah, it's this is some smart tech. And so let's let's first briefly go over like the actual list here. And what this is doing is it has Insolent Neonate, Ledger Shredder, Grief, Street Wraith, Two Titan of Industry, and of course for our kind of cruelty. These are all non-legendary creatures, which is important because it's a persist deck. So what's the actual difference here, you may ask? And the biggest thing is that it's well? It's a little bit of a Malakir rebirth and dying evil thing for uh, grief, or as a protection from removal, or something like that. Three mausoleum secrets, and what is mm-hmm. this spell? You may ask. It is a one in the black instant with under just undergrowth. Search your library for a black card. 
with mana value less than or equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. So, what is this doing? It is three more persists. That's the most important thing. It is, if you have two creatures in your graveyard, and this deck runs a lot more creatures than it's like the typical reanimator deck, which might just ah. have four. So this just says, hey, I've got a couple creatures in my graveyard. I've, I've griefed. Uh, I've cycled the Street Wraith. You've killed my. I've sacrificed my Neonate. You've killed my Ledger Shredder. I can then, at instant speed, tutor up a persist, which I think is big game. Yeah, and then it also has Malachir Rebirth and Undying Evil. If you want to do some grief stuff with it, or if for some reason you want to bring Insolent Neonate back, I guess as well, you can do that too. Or if someone kills your Ledger Shredder, you can bring that back as well, right? So. I guess I guess you can bring up almost any of your things, but I'm talking about cheap early on plays if you're not <laughs> trying to not trying to do something with Titan or Archon at that time. Sweet. So there's modern. There's modern. Any quick closing thoughts before we move on to Pioneer for the last bit of the show? Oh, I have so many thoughts, but we probably don't have time. Like the, I mean, I guess I wanted to highlight like what are the biggest differences you all noticed, and I think like Death Shadow has basically been given up on. I think by most people after the post Luris era. People tried to keep it going, and I think it's not there. As you mentioned, Dave, prowess variants seem to be back. There's a lot of experimentation in the prowess era. And I think that mid-range variants have consolidated around like the better and probably best mid-range decks in the Yorian Omnath strategies. Like, there's no Niv to Light, there's no Ponza, there's fewer Jund and Rakdos variants that we're seeing now. And so I think that's kind of the, those are the things that I noticed. The biggest thing for me was just the number of decks being less consolidation and or player engagement i think somewhat lower player engagement yeah and a little less impact from streets of new capenna than i was hoping but more decks with titan of industry than i was expecting so that's fun i guess so dave thanks for handling the modern portion of the the deck dump and so let's get into pioneer i'll leave this to give you a little break here so we'll start again with the current mainstream we had only 34 decks in this deck dump, it's you know it's significantly less than modern. Even when modern is uh, you know getting a little bit less attention, maybe as people turn their eye towards Pioneer and start thinking about the upcoming Pro Tour. And so we'll start with Nyawanota. We have the best deck. We have Foxantes and Purple Rain on two slightly different variations of Winota. They have to be pretty significantly different to show up in the deck dump. So uh, Purple Rain's version is definitely pretty interesting but any thoughts on naya winota this the fox antes deck is pretty darn stock first thing i wanted to mention too is that we'll talk a little bit about these decks uh since we're new or to pioneer maybe some of the listeners are i think we're going to include the goldfish metagame percentage as well also it's a little more clear in pioneer than it is in modern i think so it's worth noting that goldfish says that winota is 16 0.4 percent of the metagame that Woo-hoo. goldfish has 16.4 on goldfish that's a lot yeah so the i mean the deck is very strong it's very consistent it has a lot of good tools it has a good backup plan it's all the things we talked about uh recently last week i think when stan was talking about so yeah good known good deck is good uh purple rain's version is pretty interesting it has it's a little bit bigger like a little bit kind of different creatures than we've seen. It has kind of the four Rabble Master, Singleton Legion War Boss that was still in the deck when we were playing it and testing it mm-hmm. like a long while ago. Yeah, back. a while ago. Two years ago, right? Almost. 
Yeah. So what, what's this, what do you think the distinction that's trying to do here is? Uh, this one is tough for me because I don't have a ton of experience piloting this deck, but um, I just feel like it's probably trying to have creatures that hit a little bit harder on its own. Yeah. Maybe. Like, I, like um, it's just like, hey, I don't really care about the Fable the Mirror Breaker tech. I just want to play more creatures. Like Rabble Master can take over a game unchecked and Fable kind of can't. Right. Well, it makes it harder to, it makes it, you have one less bit of ramp, right? Because that's what Fable is sometimes, where you make sure that you go from three to four, you make sure you have some extra mana around if you want to do something else. The other thing that this deck does that's interesting is it has Mint's beloved Ranger. Yeah, we just talked about him. Yeah, yeah. And so here here it is, suddenly just made it happen on our own. A different deck altogether, though, but. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. All right. Okay, so that's Winota. I mean, do you think Winota problem uh i need to like, play more pioneer line? i need to play more pioneer i've been playing like strictly explorer uh just because i'm kind of addicted to it but i'm honestly having some issues with arena and having some issues with explorer so i need to step away from it and get back on magic online so i'll be getting back into pioneer i think and have better thoughts for you i know that some people do think so about some other people who are pioneer uh, experts and and play a lot of it don't think so so it's one of those things where to me a deck where you have to draw your interaction and you have to draw a like maybe it's a sideboard card or something like that that's never a thing that i think is great but that's also magic in a lot of ways so maybe you just can't avoid that where it's like yeah i didn't draw interaction for winota and so I lost, but I do think the real problem is that the deck is just better. It's a better deck without Winota than it used to be. So yeah, you know, same stuff we talked about last week. Makes sense. Stan, you hate Winota. Yeah. What do you think, Stan? I think it's the best deck in the format, and its days are maybe numbered, unless like new cards and upcoming sets shake up Pioneer significantly. But it's just, I think it's kind of defining the format and relatively unfun way and sentiment is getting sour and sour with each passing minute yeah especially i think because there's so much more attention on the format and it's like it's no longer just the diehards who've kind of learned to live with it it's kind of people are who are coming at it from different format formats for context and saying like this is not fun this is not something that i'm going to get excited about if this is the format that i have to focus on for my competitive ambitions in the near term Rakdos mid-range, 11.9% of the meta, and that's probably even much more than that because these lists just don't get that diverse, I don't think. So yeah, this is this is Rakdos mid-range. This is what this deck looks like right now. It's it's pretty set in stone. Uh, and it's got some Chandra's, it's got some Sorens, it's got the decent red-black to, you know, to good red-black cards and interaction and stuff like that. So yeah, not too much different here. I was shocked that this card is, that this deck is supposedly eleven percent of the meta. Right. I, I I mean, it felt like it three weeks ago when Obnixilis was was in the deck and Streets of New Compendium had come out and everybody was playing around with it on Explorer and you were seeing it online and everything. But I am so shocked that this is the next most popular deck according to Goldfish in Pioneer in general with all the other options that there are. Yep. I mean, it's just like a solid deck, and I think people love playing decks like this when they're you know, even sniffing good. So I think I know why it's as popular as it is. Hmm. It's because red and black has it th- thanks to Thoughtseize and Dreadbore and, and some other cards, but those two especially just has some of the best interaction in the format. Yeah. Not having Dreadbore in Explorer 
is really showed to me how just a good, simple, like flexible two mana removal spell like Dreadbore can do for this deck. Like I, I really hate not having Dreadbore in an Explorer. Yeah, it, it certainly would make this deck a lot better. It's true. Do you guys yeah. want to touch on the lack of mob Nixilis here? I mean, I do want to say sorry to Shane for me being a huge, <laughs> huge fan of Mob Nixilis, and then it, it's apparently worked itself back out of the deck over the last couple of weeks. I think just not synergistic enough, right? Where it's just like I don't want to get rid of my creatures. Like I need <laughs> these creatures to like to to finish the game off, and I know that Ob can do it in certain aspects, but not always. Yeah, it's just like putting stuff in the graveyard's bad, objectively, all the <laughs> objectively time. Objectively bad. Always. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's homes for it, but I don't think it's this. All right, we got to keep moving. So we have red-based aggro decks at 11%, and we have Connorman 11. Huge. Huge amount of the meta. It's, this it's, is three decks we've talked about, and it, we're through 37% of the meta. is Winota, yep. Rakdos, and Mono Red. Dave, you're spoiling my, my post-Pioneer deck dump thoughts. Yeah, so this is just like the red aggro deck, right? It's just pretty efficient creatures. Swift Spear, Skullscar, Eidolon, Chandra Desert Kill, some low CMC spells, low mana value spells. Kimono, I love Kimono Faces Kakazan. I think it's a great card. But Stan... The second, the second chapter of Kimono Faces Kakazan is the one that you don't see coming. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, that's a 3-3 three, three yep, now? Yeah, getting stuff out of certain types of burn range or blocking range is big game. But you have thoughts on this, Stan? Well, I... I also think that card is secretly really hard to play and I almost never know if I'm sequencing it correctly. Like, do I lead with it? I I almost always lead with a prowess creature, even though like sometimes you miss the second trigger on the saga because of that. Um, Ideally, I'm just going like prowess creature immediately into Kumano so I can get a a prowess trigger on like my Swiss spear or whatever. I think that's probably wrong. I, th- I think you, I th- yeah, I think you want it early because then you get the creature as fast as possible. Yeah, I think I think you might be. I think I would sequence it the other way personally, but I don't think it's like why you why you don't love it that much. I think well, it's. I, I, I thought we we're saying the same thing. Like I, I prioritize the creatures. No, I would do the, I would do the other way. I would prioritize Kumano because I want oh, the I, would, I want the creature on turn three. Oh, from okay. Kumano. Okay. And I want yeah, you get the Kamana creature faster, and you get a bigger Swift Spear. Uh-huh. Yeah, are the two or bigger Soulscar Mage? I think that that I agree that I think that's more important. I should and, try and- that because I am I cannot win with this deck, and I've tried like I feel like the creatures get outclassed really fast. Yeah, yeah. and and the removal that's mostly just shock is also really bad, and Lightning Strike is just like only good against Grease Fang. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it can, you, you want to hear a hot take I have? I don't think Bonecrusher Giant should be in this deck. What? I, I think it's too slow. I think I think this should be. I think this should be pushing on the board more. I don't like think a Kari Zev. Yeah, something. I just I think that Bonecrusher Giant is just too slow. So that's that's my hot take on the day for mono red aggro versus like the the bigger red decks or something like that yeah and you like bone crusher giant in the rakdos oh yeah i know i think i think bone crusher giant should be in rakdos it makes perfect sense there i don't think it i don't think it particularly makes a ton of sense in the the aggressive more aggressive strategies i think there's probably i mean like man i maybe i just run like rabble master just because i want to don't don't quote me on that we also have a gruel aggro deck here by duduzin this is pretty cool it's another deck where i'm like does do i really want to be playing bone crusher giant in this deck when it's so efficient otherwise where it's just like it's basically the same idea yeah i mean the coolest thing about this deck is that it's it's red aggro that someone went how can i make 
make it a little bigger. And what they did was they put four Dreadheart Arcanists in and then put old mono red slash burn staple. Remember when this card was good enough for modern burn? Atarka's Command. Oh, I remember. Mm-hmm. There's a four of Atarka's Command. And so the big move that you can do with this is you can, ca- you can cast a Dreadheart Arcanist on turn two, and then you cast a Tarkas Command on turn three. You put a counter... You, co- you, you do your creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain reach until end of turn is one of the modes, and maybe you skull crack your opponent. You give them, you do three, or lava spike them. You do three damage to them. And then when you attack with Jarred Arcanist, you get to cast a Tarkus Command again. And so you get to hit somebody for another three, plus make your creatures even bigger. And so that adds up pretty fast. So I thought that was a pretty fun little piece of uh, tech with a card that used to be very, very good. Yeah. Cute, cute synergy. Uh, probably better. Probably more cute than good, but I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, aside from the synergy, the fact that a target command actually buffs the whole board, I think, is also kind of secretly important. Yes, yeah. I mean, a target command used to be plenty powerful enough of a card. It was one. Car- it's one card that I'm always have been surprised ever since Pioneer was announced that it was never good enough to be in Pioneer before, right. really, or just people didn't really use it that much. And maybe, you know, maybe it's maybe it's got some space. All right, let's go to our control decks. At seven, about seven and a half percent, we have Azorius Control. Uh, the deck here is is Cuthbert the Cat. It's a Yorian deck. It's been the same for a while. If you want to play Drago Control, here's your deck. Here's your format, probably, if you're playing your Drago Control. You know, it's got the the Narsets. The this is where you, if you want to play four Wandering Emperor, Wandering Emperor, I think, is a house in this power level of a format. You want to play your Juari Disruption? It's here for you. <laughs> I love, I love disrupting Juar, in Juari. I don't. It's the best. <laughs> Portable holes. This is just like, it's, it's amazing that like, even though many of the cards are just strictly not as good, there's, there's no prismatic ending, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's good enough here. You know what's a card that's good enough? Farewell. Yeah. That's a card that's yeah, good th- enough th- too th- in this format. You're, I think I share your tone of like mod- mild surprise that the six man is sweeper. I think it's just because it sweeps everything. Yeah. You could be kind yeah. of modal with it. Yeah. And the, of course, the nice thing is it doesn't hit planeswalkers, which can be bad sometimes, but quite often is good. And it has that little extra thing where it gets rid of graveyards and cards like planar cleansing that exist in Pioneer already you have access to. They don't help you with that little extra graveyard bit. And so it's, it's, a, nice, it's a nice thing for you. And then uh, also in the control bucket, we've got 3.6% of Is It Control. Uh, this deck is represented by MTG, MTG Vince. Hmm. Thoughts on this? Stan Stack, it's back. Truly. Um, so before Ledger Shredder came out, this deck saw like a moment of popularity and I bought into it because I had a lot of fun playing with it online. And then after Capenna and all the non-Phoenix Izzet decks were basically just like prowess variants, I was really worried that this deck was dropping off. But it's had a pretty strong weekend even, like with a mirror match in the finals of a Pioneer Challenge, I think at least one copy in the previous top eight of the Pioneer Challenge, and people are still doing Narset and Collective Defiance combos to yeah. reasonable success. And this one didn't even, this particular list didn't even run Collective Defiance, but there are plenty of this version that I've seen go by, and when I was looking at things that are still running, a bit of both. This one is just running Days Undoing. Yeah. One thing I want to note really quickly that we forgot to mention, by the way, is that this Pioneer deck deck list is from deck dump is from 523 so by the time this pod comes out it's going to be a little a little um a little later but the um the this week's list didn't come until today which is may 30th and so we couldn't really get all those notes into here in a single day 
and, and you know what? We're just going to say that the 523 dump is better. It's better. Yeah. better dump. It's just a better dump. Objectively. Snipewolf99 would agree. They are the person on Mono Green Devotion in this dump. 5.8% of the meta. Yeah, it's it's the you know the big mid range go over the top Tron style devotion deck, and it's quite good. Why is it back to being good suddenly? I don't think it's ever not good. I think here's here's my opinion on this deck is I think it has some pretty obvious weaknesses. I think you can attack it in particular ways. It's kind of just a deck that wants to see a lot of other mid rangey decks where it can go over the top and kind of outclass what they're doing. Uh, I think aggro can get under it. I think. Even bigger decks can punish it, like something like Niv. Uh, I think it's a very cool, very good deck, but I don't think it's like some other decks in the format are like have an answer for what I'm doing or lose. And I don't think that's necessarily the case for like Mono Green Devotion. I'm, I think I'm more bullish on this deck. I actually think this deck is amazing. And, and next to Winota is like maybe one of the best in the format. What makes it feel more amazing to you? Like, I mean, I love casting Giant Collective Company. I just think Cavalier of Thorns and Old Growth Troll are really strong creatures among the strongest creatures in the format as just like once they're on the board, they're a huge problem. And the fact that it has like Nissa's to really take over by like making all of your creature or all of your lands into threats um, while also having Karn to just like pick up something as like... Um, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but like using Karn to pick up a God Pharaoh statue against so many of the decks that at least I play just feels yeah. utterly backbreaking. And having like a Karn wishboard in like a big green deck. Yeah, it's really feels, good. But then nuts. like, you know, you play against something that's like a, a prowess style deck or even like a mono red deck and they, they kill your Elvish Mystic and you're waiting to cast something on turn three at best. And, you know, Cavalier of Thorns comes out on turn five. I think that you're plenty disruptible is my, my real feeling on it. Yeah. I, I think you can stabilize though. Um, oh yeah, you and, can. And, you can. And, and that's kind of the, the scary thing is like Cavalier will just stabilize you really, really effectively. Yeah. I mean, it's a good deck. It's a really good deck. It's, it's definitely in my wheelhouse. I just still can't believe that, Narset, I mean, excuse me, Nissa is only like a one of these days because it's just such a absurd card to get on the battlefield, but maybe you don't need it. Speaking of, I guess this is not aggressive. This is, is it Phoenix at 5.5% of the meta? Giovanni MF is on it, this dump. But yeah, this, this one is starting to take a different shape. It has four Ledger Shredder, four Arc Light Phoenix, of course. Um, and Broadly looks a lot like it used to in the Thing in the Ice days. They had as a couple strangle main deck, which is nice uh, for you know just a little bit of extra removal against creatures or planeswalkers for a single red mana. But largely, this deck looks the same. I mean, I do think that Ledger Shredder has made a pretty big difference for this. Yeah, for that's this what deck. I want to get into. It's it's like, different... It looks the same, yeah. but how big of a difference do you think Shredder makes here? Also, oh my God, Ledger Shredder is twenty five dollars. It is twenty five United States dollars. When did that happen? Okay. Anyway. This week. Yikes. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. There's not a lot of cards anybody wants in Tanuka Pena, is there? <laughs> Weird. You know why I think Ledger Shredder is kind of really good here is that there's the obvious thing of it helps you pitch Phoenixes. Sure. But the, the other part is that I think this is one of the best decks for making your Shredders big rather than just using it to like filter out dead lands later in the game. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you're only running 19 lands. And 
in some cases you want to like use up all that mana because you're playing like pieces of the puzzle or galvanic iteration and something else. So this deck is a little more mana hungry than you might anticipate. So then what you end up doing is like pitching extra cantrips or removal that isn't relevant or birds, of course. And then your shredders plus your phoenixes have you swinging for like 12 or more damage sometimes as early as turn four or five. I just have a really hard time thinking that shredder is strictly better than thing in the ice in this strategy like they both die to the same type of removal but then when you flip and they're both capitalizing on the same game plan and then you flip awoken horror that's not dying to much in the same fashion as like ledger shredder still is yeah i mean it depends on weaknesses though right like if your deck right now is fast and doesn't really care about dying to creatures which is really what thing in the ice is for then having another flying threat that you can chip in with that's on plan might just be better in, in the long run for what this is. And I would say, I wouldn't be surprised if we see versions of this deck again in the future that have, mm-hmm. um, have a thing in the ice again. And there's certainly red, blue control decks out there that have thing in the ice in them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different weakness you're trying to plug. Yeah. I don't know if it's strictly better or worse. I think shredder is just a little bit more on plan. And this is just kind of like a little bit more of a commitment to a strategy where it's thing in the ice is a bit more of a plan B where it's okay, like yeah. you're either doing Awoken Horror stuff or you're doing Phoenix stuff, and sometimes they can even get it a little at odds with one another. All right, let's keep moving. We've got up next, is it Prowess? Uh, Shiavito is on this one. This deck is sweet. This is what, this this is is what like you should be playing. even faster version, right? This is what you should be playing instead of Mono Red Aggro, I think. Yeah. yeah you probably, think it's that much better? Probably true. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like it, it has better ways of closing the game out. Like, you're not going to get... I mean, yeah, yeah of course, like... Uh, Cavalier of Thorns has reach, but Old Growth Troll doesn't. And you know what flies over an Old Growth Troll quite nicely is a Sprite Dragon or a Ledger Shredder. Like, it's just the kind of thing where it's like, you you can put a Bone Crusher Giant down and I have a really hard time removing it, but I can fly over it here. Like, I don't care. Like, this is just, it's fast and good and has good interaction. And you play Ancestral Recall. Which is even better. Yeah. I want to play a deck that lets me play Ancestral Recall two to three times a game. I just want to play this deck all the time, and I've never, I still have not had a chance to play this because I've been playing more Explorer than anything else. Which gets us to the next deck, actually, Dave. Yeah. 4.8%. We've got, uh, is Boros Aggro 4.8% of the meta, or is that kind of something else? According to, according to Magic Gold, uh, to MTG Goldfish, it's 4.8% of the meta. Yeah. I was surprised by that. I had to move it up as well from my initial rankings kind of all right we running pac-man is on this dump so what do you think about this deck dave i mean i talked about it towards the end of last week i think that this version is better than the explorer version for a number of reasons including favorite hoplite being a slightly better thing to have around than Soulscar mage for this kind of list um i just think that this deck is really powerful it's really fun to play it's um it's challenging in a way it's fascinating to me that Feather's not good enough to be in the deck at all again now, and it's in the sideboard, basically. But yeah, I think that this this deck can just put on some good pressure and protect it and kind of go, go, go. It's in that uh, Auras zone. I will say, you know, I, I think that I would rather be playing pow- Prowess than this deck, but there's enough people that are on it that certainly it's um, it's making, it's having a moment right now, too. I also think it's good against Prowess. It's kind of my my gut feeling and and a little bit of my experience playing with Mm -hmm. playing the matchup where if you're facing a lot of prowess or just like decks that are running the cheap red removal and like counting on shock effects. I think this has a really good plan against that suite of cards. 
Yeah, one thing that's kind of interesting about this one, when you talk about what matchups are good for this deck versus prowess and things like that for being like similar kind of small crappy creature decks, one thing that this deck has that prowess doesn't as much, at least as currently configured, is outs against sweepers non-exile based sweepers so like a supreme verdict or something like that you have cards in the deck that can give your cards indestructible and which helps them kind of survive through those kind of things instead so it becomes like wraths aren't as much of a i mean it's it's hard to do it but you can you can survive a wrath with this deck in a ways that sometimes you can't with uh prowess yeah so all right coming up next we have Kind of the combo bucket, which is one deck here, more or less, and that is Lotus Field combo. A 5.5% of the meta, Stranger 99 is playing this. Really good deck. Dangerously good deck. A lot of people you know, want the deck out of the format. It's too hard to interact with. It's too reliable. What it's doing is kind of the thought process, but it's, you know, it's not an explorer, and I haven't been playing a ton of actual Pioneer lately, so I don't have like really strong feelings about it one way or the other. I do have a strong feeling that I think 5.5% is lower than I would expect based on all the complaints I hear about it. That's higher than I was expecting, just from anecdotal seeing what people are talking about playing on social media and what I've seen in the leagues that I've played of Pioneer lately, even though there hasn't been a huge amount. Uh, I don't see a lot of Lotus Field, and it seems like people are more interested in playing things like Grease Fang mm -hmm. to me, which mm -hmm. is a different combo deck that's maybe just more popular right now or more talked about because it's newer. But, um, you know, Spike had this on his hit list as well <laughs> of cards that should probably go. And I probably think that Lotus Field will eventually eat a ban, but we'll see. Yeah, you know, I keep hearing people say that this combo is non-deterministic. <laughs> it never whiffs for me. But I, maybe that's one of the reasons why you play Grease Fang over it. It's just because like, if you can get that two-card combo with Grease Fang, you, you know exactly what the outcome is going to be. Whereas with this, you, you do sort of have to dig a little bit and hope you eventually can play your Emergent Ultimatum. Yep. All right, we've got a couple Spirits decks up next. We have Bant Spirits at 3.2, Psycho Titan, and then also Psycho Titan on Mono Blue Spirits. At least unless it's a, unless yeah. it's a typo. 2.9% uh, of the meta. I love it, spirits, but I think we don't have time to talk about them again. These are good decks. If you like spirits, it's fine to play spirits in Pioneer right now. I think either version has its pluses and minuses. Um, Mostly pluses with boards. Yeah, well, that's the Bant one. Honestly, the Mono Blue Spirits decks aren't really all about that, but the Bant deck definitely is. It's got your Empyrean Eagle and stuff like that as well, and Coco. Um, but yeah, Mono Blue's trying to play a slightly different game. The key difference here is just like Mono Blue's playing a, a tempo deck, right? Where it's just like you play really cheap creatures, you try to protect with cheap counter spells, whereas Spirits is like aggro disruption. Correct. Yeah, and big. It's a Coco deck. Right. Still, right. Mono Blue Spirits is a, a curious obsession deck in some ways. So it's, it's a bit, it is more tempo ish. All right, Dave, you mentioned these decks just uh, previously. We've got Grease Fang. And Esper Greasefang, uh, Apolites is at 1.6%, and Mardu Greasefang at 1.3% uh, by Gosar. We also have an Obzon Greasefang by Sandbolt905. So we have three similar yet different strategies trying to all do the same thing. Kill you with uh, Parhelion 2 and a couple 4-4 four, four things for the ride. I think this deck is really good. Yeah, <laughs> dangerously um, good. I'm surprised that it's yeah. less played than Lotus. In Pioneer, I thought it would be more played, but um, I do think it's a really good deck, and I really don't like playing against it. And it's fascinating to see all these different versions. You know, the Esper one is about let me 
let me discard cards with the um you know the blue black the demure kind of draw discard card and some other stuff the mardu list is all about using blood tokens and you get more mid-rangey and then this obzon list was pretty interesting too it uses some old favorites like Seder wayfinder and grizzly salvage to you know they're not discarding we're just self-milling mm-hmm. now when we're when we're doing that stuff to get those cards in the graveyard to a- animate them with grease fang i think they all have different pluses and minuses and things that they do as a result of those strategies but it's a um it's a lot of work going into these ones for sure yeah deck's really good yeah, we, we've talked about this recently, so I don't want to get in the weeds on it. But yeah, I think these decks are really good. I think they're going to continue to be iterated upon, and I think their percentage is going to rise, especially if anything happens to something like Winota, I think. Yeah, agree. It feels a lot like Winota to play against yes. Grease Fang. I'll say, as you feel like, oh, God, now this is a giant thing, and now there's all the other giant things. And then last on kind of the mainstream decks, we have Jun Sacrifice at 1.6% of the meta. Uh, Hermano, Hermano MLG is on this one. Yeah, so much value on this thing, right? It's it's really good. Generates Poor a lot. Riveteer's yeah. Charm. Shane, yeah. you wanted Riveteer's Charm in your Jun deck. I mean, shaving a couple trophy, a fable, the Mirror Breaker, and a land, I think, is what I noticed being different from previous lists. Seems a little bit dangerous, but like I don't think Fable is like a huge game for this deck. It does give you sacrifice fodder, but like digging through a land, digging dig, digging for cards, being able to cast any of them with mana you have available to you, I think, you know, it's it's a really good card. And it has two other modes. There you go. All right. Let's blow through a bunch of these sort of outside the mainstream decks, even though there's a lot of cool ones here, but I think we'll try to summarize them as best we can as quickly as possible. We've got tribal decks. We have a Five Color Humans by Bananimous, Celestia Angels by Dote. We've got Bant Angels by Raging Machismo. Humans is fine. It's all right. It's got some interesting new cards in it, but the Celestia Angel decks of co- and Bant Angel decks, of course, have uh, Giada, which I think has made that deck kind of really go up on the upswing, and that's kind of the most notable new card that's around this area. Yeah, I think, as always, I think the biggest weakness for Celestia is just the sweepers in the format, like Azorius Control being good like makes decks like these have issues from time to time. Like they can be amazing and then they can just lose to sweepers or something like that. Yeah. Unless they get the book of exalted deeds combo and yeah. then, and then everyone loses because no <laughs> one can win. I, I, it's so egregious. I, that, that combo actually makes me more upset than anything else we've talked about so far in this format. Which one? The book of the exalted, book of deeds, exalted land deeds combo thing, whatever w- with oh, Mutavolt. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, there's actually two other decks in this deck dump that played in mono white devotion strategies. So that combo is pretty popular in in uh, in Pioneer, and so I I would expect that to be on the fringe for a while, or maybe even ascendant yeah. for a while as people figure out what to do with it. It just bothers me that's like you either have to play some way to disrupt their lands, or you kind of have to resign to MTGO cheese because. I, I think you have less success with that combo in paper because someone's going to lose to the clock. Yeah. Or you can force a draw rather. Yeah. Speaking of losing yeah, to the clock, as- we are. Yeah. <laughs> so we are, of course we are. We've got a uh, gruel aggro. We've got some aggro piles coming up next. We've got uh, gruel aggro by Liliana 1989. We've got kind of like an, is it artifact affinity thing by Furtabom? And then, uh, Golgari Regisaur fight rigging style deck. And yeah, like, you know, it's kind of a big mid range gruel deck. It's got what, like, this is kind of like a Psy 
and Sahili deck for the Is It Artifacts. And then, yeah, yeah, if the fight rigging deck, you're probably starting to see if you're playing this or Explorer. I think people are into this. I don't know how great it is, but I had my first shakedown heavy cast against me, and I was like, how am I supposed to deal with this card? Like, mm-hmm. even the like so-called downside isn't that bad. Like, if you make them untap it, like they just block with it against you, and they draw a card. Like, people were mad about Lovestruck Beast, and no one's talking about this? Like, maybe I'm doing something wrong here. Well, Reckless Rage tags it. Yeah, it's got, so well, yeah, gotta, gotta draw it. Just gotta draw it. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about this is that you fight rigging just puts counters on your Yeah, that's creatures. also the thing. If you can call a, and control a creature with a power 7 or greater, then you can play an, a hideaway card. So you can actually just, like, ramp into an extra card for 3 mana off of this. You're your creatures are big and you know it's it's a, this deck was floating around at different points in time like versions of this golgari aggro deck were floating around an old pioneer and this is just kind of an update of that all right we've got some combo decks synergy style decks up next kinnon combo from two gym five color fires like enigmatic incarnation by uh, frederico Medeo, and we have gruel transmogrify by mogged and we have four color Je- four color Jeskai Ascendancy by Ruler as well. Ascendancy, the better known deck out of those ones, but definitely feels like it's on a bit of a downswing. The most interesting list to me out of these ones, I think people are mostly familiar with Kinnon Combo yep. and a bit familiar with Enigmatic Incarnation. Red Ring Transmogrify is interesting because it just feels a whole lot like creativity to me, uh, but it's trying to basically flip a Titan of Industry off of a Transmogrify or a Luka Copper Coat Outcast but the problem is you actually have artifacts in this deck, so you cannot play uh, creativity. You have to play a different. You have to play a different thing, and that's where you get transmogrify instead. You know these kinds of decks are cool and interesting, and I, you know, yeah, I think I mean Kinnon was always something that's like just seemed kind of awful and good. We've got a couple yeah. devotion decks up next. Yeah, I talked about these a minute ago when when Stan was talking oh, yeah. about the book uh, book and and Mutavault. That's really what these are. They're kind of one of them's a Nykthos kind of Karn Yorian book of devotion build. There's another one that's Heliod with book of devotion. So they're ones that are just trying to make a lot of mana with Nykthos and then just be able to cheese you out basically with that book of devotion Mutavault combo and kind of win from there. Um, I do feel like there's a chance that this kind of stuff can go up. Or like I said, like there's probably another strategy out there waiting to make Nykthos really good. And maybe this is it. Maybe it's something else, but it's one of the most powerful cards in the format that so far only has one home. And I'd be surprised if it stays that way. Agreed. And then finally we have kind of like various mid range piles. We have Niv to light from Kato two, two, two. We have traverse mid range, like a Golgari traverse deck. We have Mardu mid range, we have Mardu Parhelion mid-range. Yeah, this is a Yorian deck that has Parhelion in it, but no way to animate it from the graveyard from yeah, what I that, can tell. I don't get it. So it's not a Greasefang list. Is that like a misimport? <laughs> it might be. Like, it's got two Parhelion, and it has, like, Life of Toshiro Umizawa. It's got Showdown of the Scald. I'm like, did someone lose a bet and end up playing? Like, what am I missing with this? Because otherwise, it just looks like red-black mid, but it also has Yorian. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get that one. The, another one I don't really get is the Mardu midrange from Ariane. Like, I don't really know what it's going over the top of here. Like, it seems just like another version of midrange, but I'm not sure what it's doing that's, like, combating other midrange decks particularly well, besides having access yeah, to Farewell at six mana. 
Right. And Vanishing Verse at two mana. So it's got some exile monocolored permanent. But the other thing that I feel like about a couple of these decks in this bucket at the end here is people trying to figure out a, a good other good Yorian strategies in Pioneer. Like Yorian's a powerful card. It's powerful and modern. Is there something we can do to make it work in Pioneer or not as well? So that is Pioneer. And <laughs> what this a real format. So this that's Okay, so look, I'm you know that I'm positive on Pioneer. I look at these decks, I look at the categories of decks, I, I my thoughts after playing, you know, semi pioneer explorer, and my question for you guys is what are we doing in this format? Like what are we doing in this format? Like we're we're winning with creatures, almost never combos. And what that makes me feel like is like, why hasn't this been like a race to the biggest over the top mid range deck? Like, is is Winota just so good that it makes Niv not good? Like, what are we doing here? Are we just are we, are we, are we just fighting against Winota? Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think right now we're fighting against Winota, and Rakdos is trying to do that. Yeah. I guess the real question I have for you is: Is this format fun? Is this format interesting? Is duking it out over the board 80% of your games, is it better with worse interaction like than, than moderns? Like, is that intriguing? Is that, is that fun for you, Stan? I can't remember if I said this on the show or if I dreamt it, but going from modern to pioneer is hard. I miss good spells. <laughs> I'm just constantly in these positions where I'm just like, I wish I could play a better spell than shock. Yeah. Yeah. Or Jawari disruption. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I hate making these compromises. It, I think it's fun. It, it's fun when you find a deck that you find fun. And then, like, best you can do is, like, start to understand the metagame and the format and figure out how your deck beats Winota and some of the other strongholds. But uh, I guess to answer your question, what are we doing in this format? We're playing bad spells <laughs> and good creatures, is, is really yeah. what we're doing. And for, for me, it's like, if you if you counted if you were tell if you're tolling tallying up the percentage points that we were giving on these various decks, the top seven decks of the format of on Goldfish make over sixty five percent of the tracked metagame, and those decks are each executing a different game plan, and so they're likely the best at doing what they're doing. We've got Naya Winota, we've got Rakdos Mid, we've got Mono Red Aggro, we've got Azorius Control, we've got Mono Green Devotion. Lotus Field combo, and is it Phoenix? Kind of, you know, graveyard tempo strategy type thing. And to contrast that, the top seven decks of Modern have 45% of the goldfish here. So that's 20% less. So my my answer for myself that I led myself into was <laughs> we, are, we are doing the same thing with fewer decks. Like all these decks are the same things. Ultimately, like we have creature aggro decks in various forms we have mid-range decks in various forms we have very few combo decks because those were eradicated from the format by force by and large and so it's just like we did ask for yeah, it I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm not i'm not blaming i'm not necessarily blaming watsi for doing something bad to their format i'm just saying like i can see the complaints of against pioneer where it's like man we're just doing we're just playing to the board and duking it out with various levels of aggression or control and that, and that is a weird place for a format to be, I think. I, I strangely think that it's more snowball-y than... It's kind of more snowball-y than modern. Mm -hmm. 
in some ways. I think the snowball, the snowball just collects faster in modern. Yeah, and there's less turns of like ambiguity. Where here you just kind of like build it up quicker, and then there's no way out of it because the spells aren't really good, so you don't have a ton of catch up mechanics. Like not every deck has the ability to suddenly fix it, right? Yeah, that's a good catch. It's just like yeah, you you get you get behind and you stay behind, and you just kind of realize it over time. Yeah, yeah, and and remember how often we've talked about just the margin of error in modern. I just so seldom feel like that margin exists here. Like sometimes just like they'll cast one spell and there's nothing I could have ever done if they cast that one spell. Like, you know, the book of exalted deeds combo is an example of that. Sometimes Cavalier of Thorns is an example of that. And it's just like, unless I'm running the perfect main deck hate card, because I'm just gunning against a certain matchup. It feels like sometimes matches are hopeless And, and maybe that's okay. Like maybe it's okay to have, paper scissor rock qualities in some of these formats and and maybe people don't want like the margin of error of modern and and then pioneer can exist to help fill that gap but to my initial point is just like i'm used to such a specific gameplay with modern and pioneer doesn't really provide that yeah at all i mean we have you know we have mh1 we have mh2 we've got what 19 years of cards in the pool now yeah i mean the tough thing is that modern before mh2 Two in particular, and in some ways before MH1, was pretty like ships passing in the night kind of stuff. And now I, I think modern is a pretty interactive format, but I think that it has a lot of sameness because the cards that are the class of interaction are the same cards. And so everybody has to play the same cards. It's like the same thing you hear everybody talk when people are complaining about modern. I just think personally, it's just a nice gear shift to be able to switch back and forth between them and enjoy the two different things because they are different and combat combat math matters a little bit more in pioneer. It really doesn't matter basically ever in modern. And so it's nice to have occasionally go to a format where you're like, wow, okay, this board state is getting kind of complex. And like, if I try to attack with this, are they going to block? Are they going to call, you know, or, or not? Are they going to think I have the trick? Like if I'm on Boros and I just swing in with my virtuoso in, you know, a two, two virtuoso into a three, three, when I have stone, nothing, are they going to, are they going (laughs) to, are they going to take the damage and is that going to matter later? So there's, there's a lot of, um, I do think that that stuff is fun in itself. It's just, you don't always get to do it, you know, and no, no, you know, magic is frustrating sometimes as an experience because those really great moments that are the best of any format that you play in magic are, they're the things that have you come, keep you coming back, but they're also somewhat elusive sometimes, right? Like if you think about, playing magic for a week and like how many really amazing moments of magic you have it's like you know it's a limited number and um but that's what keeps you coming back is you have that story to tell your friend or it's just that moment where you're like oh my god i made the right decision and i think that's that's fun in both of these formats still i i agree um going back to kind of the aspiring spike which i think a lot of people are on board or or a little or similar is just like if, if we banned Winota, if we banned Lotus Field, um, potentially Nykthos, things like that. Like the, the Well, so the let's spells. be really clear. What, what Everett asked, said was, Dell spells, Lotus Field. Pioneer is great, but, but Dig, Cruise, Lotus Field, and Winota need to go. And I think they should go before the Pro Tour, and the format will be a lot better. And I got to say, I, don't, I think it's a matter of not if, but when with all four of those cards. I'm not saying that we have to do it now like he is, but I agree that those are all cards that are clearly more powerful than other things in the format. You might, you might be surprised at my take, though. I think if you remove those cards right now, 
I think the format is worse because I think it will just be mid-range grind fests. It will be just various yeah. forms of Niv to Light will be the best deck or something like that. That might be some people might love that, but I think it's like we'll just get to where we were before, which is just like right. you know, uh, oh, big big red is good. Now we've got Niv going over the top of that. We've got something potentially going over going over the top of that, and then combo injecting itself in there, being like nothing can handle me. And right. and I don't know if that's a great place to be. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with the now part of it either, but I do think there's a list of, I think the list of cards that are known problems in Pioneer is easier to track in Pioneer because the format's smaller. Yeah. Right. And so you can go, woof, this card that was banned in Modern eventually is going to get powerful enough to be banned here. Or this card that was too good for multiple different formats, you know, in Winota is going to go here eventually because eventually it's going to be too good for this format. I think it's easy. It's a little easier to track the, the, potential issues here but i i agree with you i think that it it would be rough to do that all at once you'd never know if you made the right decision but it's a, like you said i think it's a good diver it's a good different format it's not just a diversion from modern i think some people just like the gameplay there and they're and they're welcome to do so and i like it in a lot of ways as well stan you have any last thoughts about the two I, here's my closing thought some of the local regional championship qualifier events have started to get announced and some of the ones I'm seeing, maybe all the ones I'm seeing, are modern qualifiers to a Pioneer Regional Challenge Championship, and I feel a little relieved that I, yeah. I, I, I'm worried that if I had to slog through Pioneer, I would have been really unenthused about being competitive for the remainder of the year, and now there's just a little bit more for me to look forward to. But that's that's my experience, and maybe Pioneer will, will shake up enough. I, you know, one thing that I think we didn't really acknowledge, but I'll, I guess the other thing I'll close with is we saw more new Capenna cards in Pioneer than in Modern. And I think that's, just to reiterate, like one of the most exciting things about Pioneer is that new sets matter. And it's... A little more. Yeah, yeah. it's not just like a Ledger Shredder story. We were talking about Riveteer's Charm and other stuff. So there's hope. There's hope. That's right. And as we await that hope, let's wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and get the latest episodes as soon as they come out every week. If you use Apple or Spotify, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to reach out, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that on our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic with the Manager subscription. If you use promo code THEDIVEDOWN15, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards via Mana Traders. And now you can use that same code, THEDIVEDOWN15, over at Barrister and Man to get 15% off your first order of shaving soaps, other soaps, beard oils, things to keep you smelling good even if you don't have time to take a shower. As always, special thanks to the bands Knower and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, Get out there and five O A Deck Dome.